Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast, the podcast dedicated to simplifying the commercial real estate industry for the masses. Each week, we sit down with industry experts to dissect the many facets of commercial real estate and extract valuable lessons you can apply to your business. Whether you're a new or seasoned business owner or investor, the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast will be your go-to resource for all your commercial real estate needs. Now, here are your hosts, Rafael Collazo and Jeff Walston. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Collazo, here with my co-host, Jeff Walston. How's it going, my friend? Going wonderful. Uh, hope everybody out there is listening. That You guys are doing great. 2022 has been a great year. I know for myself and Rafael included. Um, this week, though, uh, it's been wonderful. So I, I can't, even if I complained or anything is going bad, nobody would you know, listen anyway. So, uh, but yeah, I'd other listen. than that, I mean, I'd, I'd listen, yeah. Jeff. I'd listen. Yeah. Jeff. Don't worry. It, it's the caring part. That's the big yeah. one. No, <laughs> exactly. uh, no, seriously. Uh, it, it's going great. Uh, I, I can't complain at all. Um, uh, and, uh, grateful for everything. So what about you, Raphael? How's it going for you? Yeah, it's great. No. And we, we just kind of touched a little bit. I, I, I just came back from Puerto Rico to take care of some stuff for, for my upcoming wedding in November. And so, you know, we got that taken care of, got to see some family, eat some phenomenal food, uh, but now I need to lose the vacation weight uh, a little bit. So we'll be going back to the gym and everything as well. But, uh, you know, speaking of, we just had a phenomenal conversation with a, a really cool individual. And this is one of the cool things about the podcast. We get to meet people from all across the country. Uh, and this individual, Ward Richmond, he's an executive vice president at Collier's, uh, specializing in 3PL and, and logistics real estate out there. Uh, just a wealth of knowledge and just an impressive individual and ha- has a unique backstory, which you guys are going to be you know, interested to hear about. So he told, we, we started off the podcast by talking a little bit about himself. Uh, you know, he started off in, uh, in football, he, he played at Brown, got injured and then finished out his, uh, career at Brown and then ultimately got into the brokerage or the, the leasing side of real estate and then traveled around Europe and, uh, across the country, uh, with his band. And he was a, uh, he traveled and, and, and tried to, uh, grow his band and, and become the next Rolling Stones. He had a Rolling Stones poster in his back, uh, behind him as well. So, you know, again, it, it was just a unique background before he got into the commercial real estate brokerage space and he's been operating in it uh, ever since uh, coming back to, to the mainland. Uh, he was 27 when he got back into the business. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, some of his career uh, challenges that he faced after coming back from, from Europe, uh, traveling and, 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 and doing his uh, music career. Uh, we also touched on a little bit about supply chain real estate, the differences between what supply chain real estate is versus other types of industrial real estate, because there needs to be that delineation and what that looks like. And we also, he also explained why he decided to go the, the supply chain real estate route versus the other side of the coin. We also talked a little bit about some of the things you need to consider as you're looking at leasing opportunities within uh, the commercial, uh, the industrial space in particular. Uh, so we put ourselves in the shoes of the tenant to be able to get a feel for what exactly their, you know, market requirements are there, you know, there's, there is the proper uh, employees nearby and, you know, just all the things you need to consider as you're looking at these opportunities we touched on uh, within the podcast as well. Uh, and then finally, we talked a little bit about, you know, post COVID, how he looks, uh, he, he thinks that the industrial market's going to evolve. Uh, you know, spoiler, it's, he thinks it's really just going to continue to grow as it, as it has been, maybe not at the accelerated pace during COVID, but if you own or want to own uh, industrial property in any market, really major market across this country, you, you would be wise to, to, to hold it because it's probably going to appreciate significantly over time. 
And then finally, you know, we touched on, you know, some of his favorite books and, you know, some of the other insights he's gained uh, through his experiences. He's huge into personal development, has several coaches and has grown a, a, a sizable business as a result of the insights that he's garnered from these individuals. And so, you know, he shared a wealth of insights pertaining to some of the revelations that he had throughout the course of his career that has enabled him to scale to where he is today. So, I mean, I thought it was a phenomenal podcast episode. Jeff, do you have anything you like to add? No, he's a great guy. Um, I know for all the listeners and viewers, if you're watching this on YouTube, um, it's definitely one of those things. If you're interested in a sector of commercial real estate, uh, particularly in industrial, I think this is definitely the the podcast uh, or episode for you because uh, he definitely, for his take, uh, I can actually see how he navigated that decision. And uh, I think that you guys will as well. And maybe that'll help you with your decision uh to you know which sector of commercial real estate you want to get into so i'm Absolutely. i'm it was an honor to have him on he a uh, great guy uh and uh yeah excited to, for everyone to listen so yeah especially if you're going to be in any type of sales role we talked a little bit about the the, the art of sales i mean he's big into you know training every he trains uh, he's he's mentioned through monday through thursday he engages with sales content to try to improve his craft because it really is a craft and so you know, if you guys are looking for insights pertaining to the sales process, you would be wise to listen to this podcast episode because, I mean, we talked a lot about different strategies you can employ to maximize uh, the output that you, you do within your business. So, uh, again, uh, one thing I also like to, to share, you know, Jeff and I do this every episode, but we greatly appreciate your guys' support. I mean, we've yes, seen a significant uptick in our downloads as a result of you guys leaving five-star reviews. So, again, for those of you guys who have left five-star reviews, we greatly appreciate it. It really does mean the world to us. If you guys haven't had a chance to do it yet, we would greatly appreciate if you could do so. If you guys are watching this on YouTube in the description below, feel free to click the link that'll navigate to the podcast so you can leave a five-star review. And then also, if you're listening to this in a Spotify format or Apple podcast, again, same thing. We'd just greatly appreciate it if you could drop a five-star review because it really does help with making sure that we reach a broader audience and make sure we spread the message of the many facets of commercial real estate that we're trying to educate people on. So again, thank you all so much. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into this episode. All right. Well, good morning, Ward. Great to see you this fine morning. Good morning, Raphael. How are you? Great. Great. Can't complain. Jeff and I uh, had a chance to see each other yesterday. I actually just got back from Puerto Rico, uh, visiting some family, getting stuff ready for the wedding. My, my fiance and I are getting married in November. And so uh, we're uh, trying to get all the things squared away before that date. So congratulations. Are you getting married in Puerto Rico? Yep. Yep. So I'm, I'm half, I'm half Puerto Rican. My fiance is full Puerto Rican. And so it logistically it just made sense. I mean, yeah. three quarters of the family's there already. And for the people who are coming, Jeff's actually going to be coming to the wedding as well. And, you know, it's kind of an excuse to go visit Puerto Rico. So very yeah. cool. Definitely. I'm, I'm actually so. working on a deal in Puerto Rico right now. Oh, really? Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Very, very little uh, availability of industrial space in Puerto Rico, actually. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in yeah. retail, retail is especially, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, everything's getting bought up, especially in San Juan. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of activity on the tourist front where people are coming in, buying buildings for either retail uses or Airbnb super popular there now. So you're starting to see a lot of these beachfront residences being bought up by people who want to, you know, do Airbnbs and they're making a killing over there. So I heard there's yeah. a big like cryptocurrency scene there. Is that right? There is. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and interestingly enough, it's because there's this law called Act 2022, uh, yeah. which essentially allows you to 
you know, if you're, if you're any, in any type of trading, for example, I have a lot of friends that, that live down there that are energy traders and different types of trading. Essentially, it eliminates the capital gains tax. Uh, and also, you know, your corporate tax is like 4%. But you have to meet this criteria, these different criteria. You have to own a property there. You have to jump some, so through some of these hoops. But compared to what you can benefit from, it, it's, it's relatively minimal, the, the requirements. So it's pretty, yeah. you see a lot of people going down there for that reason. Yeah, that's cool. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Ward, again, like we mentioned, we're really honored to yeah. have you. I mean, you have a wealth of knowledge, especially in the industrial real estate side. And so we're kind of excited to dive in and learn a little bit more about you. So that's typically what we do is when we first get started with the podcast, we like to learn a little bit more about the person that's across the table from us. So if you don't mind kind of sharing your backstory, I think that'd be great. Uh, sure. Uh, so I'm born and raised in Dallas, Texas, and uh, grew up here in the same neighborhood my whole life. My parents still live in the house that I grew up in. Um, I don't know how far back you want to go, but uh, I, I went, I got recruited to play football in college, went to Brown University. So I went from like inner city public high school in Dallas to uh, an Ivy League school, um, got injured my football career ended and then uh, but stayed at brown graduated cool experience but then moved right back to dallas and uh i dabbled in commercial real estate right out of college and then i left after about two and a half years i had leased office space and uh but i played music so i went on tour with my band which is a country band for four years and sowed my wild oats I did like backpacking through Europe but for four years instead of like two weeks like normal people. And uh, <laughs> then I came back, decided to get back into commercial real estate and uh, decided to do industrial um, instead of office, which I, you know, had been, yeah, I had some experience in. And I just, I really liked the vibe of industrial real estate, like uh, a little more blue collar, uh, might be able to get away with wearing jeans a little more to work and things like that. And that appealed to me. So that was in 2006. And then, um, you know, just happened. It was pretty, I, I think, fortunate timing to get into the industrial real estate business because that's like a few years before like Amazon Prime hit, hit the market and um, like the world changed forever and in terms of the supply chain and industrial real estate. So uh, a couple years in, I, uh, I started working just like two submarkets in Dallas, like old school, really super focused real estate, which I think is still like super um, important, um, you know, to have that skill set <clears throat> with, I mean, today it's with my partners that I work with. So I, I'm always engaging local submarket experts. So I spent the first two years really becoming a local submarket expert, but then um, got hired by a company out of Dallas that had a hundred facilities across North America and got into doing multi-market tenant rep. Um, and they're a last mile company. So we were, I was doing last mile logistics deals that started, I started working with them in 2009, working all over the country. Um, in 2012, I joined Collier's. So I've been there for 10 years now because I wanted a, um, a larger company with a global footprint to go service my clients. And um, since that time, I've really specialized in representing tenants with a multi-market presence, industrial tenants, with a multi-market presence. And most of the tenants I rep are third-party logistics companies, transportation and trucking companies. 
and um, and we really focus North America. So, but like to give you a feel for activity in 2021 for our team, uh, which is now we have a six-person team based in Dallas with Colliers. But we did 90 transactions last year in 48 different markets throughout uh, U.S., Canada, and Mexico. And nice. uh, we're, we're constantly working in the major markets in uh, all three of those countries. Super active. And then we do other work throughout, throughout LATAM as well, including Puerto Rico. And we're working on a deal in Santiago, Chile right now. And, um, and then sometimes dabble overseas, but mainly over here in the Americas. And uh, that, so that's kind of, you know, my, my background uh, summed up pretty quickly. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, once I started working in the logistics space, I went to Georgia Tech. I did the executive program there in supply chain and logistics, really drilled in on it. I'd say I go to more logistics conferences and supply chain conferences than I do go to real estate conferences. Um, I see like the supply chain side being um, so critical to the real estate decision-making process. Um, if, if you like, if you know anything about, about how these decisions are made, they're like the tenants have to analyze the holistic cost of like their um, supply chain costs and real estate costs are actually like three to 6% of that. Whereas transportation costs are 50 to 70%. So, understanding the transportation side of things is critical to be able to help with the real estate side of things because it is just one piece of the puzzle um but but you've got to look at the big picture and that is transportation and inventory costs and labor costs and uh, all of these different components that go into the decision making process so um i'm a huge fan of the logistics business in general um my number one newspaper I read is Wall Street Journal Logistics Report. And I mean, I read that every day religiously. And that's like really my only source of news that I even pay attention to at this point in time, just given the, you know, dramatic nature of the rest <laughs> of the news cycle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, when you were talking about the supply, like the transportation part of it, um, I work down in Santiago, Chile. So I uh, Oh, uh, learned, yeah. So I, I built dental labs down there. And so we would have, you know, cargo ships coming from Southern California to get down to Santiago. And you had to, you know, dictate it's like 21 days. And that's a quick, quick ship down to Santiago from Southern California. So yeah, I, I feel for you on that because that's, that's a lot of different. And I worked in several different countries and all of them are different, you know. Uh, so that's, that's a hard hard ball to like hold on to and, and grass. Cause stuff like that changes a lot. I mean, yeah. And even like you mentioned 48 different markets, I mean, yeah, each state's going to have its own, you know, unique way of viewing, you know, the, the different, different things pertaining to the transaction. And so getting familiar with that and having a, a, a backing of, of a large organization like Collier's I'm sure helped you a lot. And I mean, I love the fact that you had uh, kind of a, a hiatus from commercial real estate. Cause I've, I'm sure that brought, gave you some perspective on, you know, life and what you really wanted to, you know, focus on once you came back. And, you know, I, I, I was born in Northeast Italy. My mom's Italian. And so I'm obviously very familiar okay. with, with Europe and, you know, it's a, it's a great time. So I'm sure you had trouble coming back after a while. Yeah. Yeah. I actually took like a one year hiatus from my uh, job and they were going to let me do it to go have fun and come back. And then the year went by really fast. Um, but then the years got slower. So after like the third year, I was like, okay, what am I doing here? Yeah. I mean, it's a, 
it's a very tough lifestyle being a professional musician, especially when you're not the Rolling Stones. Like right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, like you know, sure. like when you're grinding, like we were, we're like sleeping on couches and traveling around the band. I I booked all of our shows. We had a booking agent overseas in Europe and Australia, but like in the U.S., I booked all of our shows. And um, when I got back into commercial real estate as a broker, because I started as an in-house leasing agent, so it wasn't being a broker. It was, I mean, you're negotiating deals, but it's not the same as running your own business and generating. Um, new business and everything so when I got into it and first like really got trained to cold call and all of that and um, I realized like I had been doing that with my band uh, for four years but instead of like selling something that people actually need like real estate expertise I was selling original music written by my high school buddy and I and selling it to people like all over the world basically and telling people to come pay us who no one's ever heard of before to come play at your venue and I mean that that's like I, once I started in real estate like this is really easy compared to selling my uh somewhat mediocre bands to the to, on a global level oh so, yeah uh, but yeah it's and it did give me perspective I was a business owner we're on tour, the logistics involved, going all over the world, um, having multiple people, mouths to feed. We're all, you know, like traveling together and all of that. So then when you get into a business where you're calling on business owners uh, to help them with their business, there it, I was I was 27 when I got back into commercial real estate. But I feel like that those four years on the road, like for sure, gave me a level of maturity, despite probably like some extremely immature behavior on the road. Um, but, you know, you, you can relate to, to that and you know what it feels like when when your business is hurting and the struggles that you go through. And we, I mean, we got sued by our record label and like things like that. And we, we're like getting a letter in the mail, getting sued for $30,000 and we like don't have electricity because we're so broke and like dealing with like that is was super i mean i think it was just um incredible life experience and definitely glad it happened oh yeah and and it shows it shows uh you know color to to you as an individual too because that's another thing is like you know separating yourself from other people that could offer similar services is that you're probably when you start getting into the conversation of your life and your background i bet i bet your clients are like oh that's so awesome and they probably dive into, you know, getting a feel for what those experiences were like, because everyone always has an idea or a desire to do something a little bit outside the box. And so you having done that, I'm sure has helped you uh, with, you know, just the connection piece. Yeah, for sure. It, it's funny. I used to hide it when I first got back into it. Um, I, uh, I mean, I have tattoos and I had this, like, when I, when I went to interview for my job, um, after deciding to stop touring and everything, I like really played it down. And I, once I got hired, I really played it down and I, um, did not like to talk about it because I felt like it would be a weakness. And then of course, like, as I, um, as I just matured and, uh, I realized like, this is just who I am. And then I also realized like the more authentic you can be and let people know what you're all about and your experience is like, it, I, I don't think it matters if you have to tour the world in a band or if you like, you know, to go 
like you know do sculptures on the weekends or you just um like to or if you love to play golf or whatever it may be like if, but if you're like truly passionate about something like i think it's just um that that lights people up when you're around people that are passionate about things and so yeah that was just like my thing but yeah the, then i realized now like for sure like the more i can just be open and honest about whatever's going on the, the deeper connections are going to be period and then the deeper connections are that's what this business is all about and really i think all business is about that is creating uh, deep connections with who you're doing business with um and it's never been more important than in industrial real estate right now is the relationship side of things and that's i mean that's how deals are being won right now it's relationships that we've got to be able to have a deep understanding of our tenant clients we need to build deep relationships with the landlords understand what they need be able to communicate this all effectively and um and i mean in most cases when we're looking at a building there's we're competing when i say we like the tenants i rep um and you know our team we're trying to get them the space and we're competing against multiple other great credit tenants for these spaces and um the the only way to go win that is to really have strong relationships with the landlord and be able to communicate like the needs of everybody you know that's all based in like deep levels of trust and connection to make that kind of thing happen absolutely yeah you so your ward you're talking about earlier like your struggles that you face when you're you know on the road and musician and stuff and so that kind of sculpted you at one part but what are some of the struggles that you faced uh as you were like scaling to grow in your career can you kind of elaborate on some of those sure um yeah i remember exactly when it happened it was um when i started scaling i was really i had a couple senior brokers here and there that i went through and i learned some incredible things from but also I still, I was like, had CEO mindset from being in my band. And um, so that I, I always struggled a little bit with basically being told what to do. Um, unless it's my clients telling me what to do and then they're in charge. But um, anyway, so I, I was basically a lone wolf. I was doing 30 deals a year or something. And, uh, but just, kind of struggling financially and um my um my well my um wife at the time she's now my ex-wife mother of my children um she got pregnant with our first child and when that happened i was freaking out so it's like what i what am i gonna do here and you know how it is being a commercial real estate broker there's no salary uh, there's no health insurance. You're on your own. Uh, the only time I ever had a salary in my life has been when I was a lifeguard at the YMCA. And then when I worked my two years as a leasing agent, I had a small base salary there. But I left that. And ever since then, it's been I've been 100% commission, playing in bands 100% commission. And then, um, yeah, getting into commercial real estate. So I've been living like that. And it was fine because um, my wife had. You know, she had a job, I had my job, it was fine, but now we're bringing a kid into the world. She's not gonna be able to work full time. And I had a lot of uncertainty. So I went to Collier's and our managing director at the time, this guy named David Pencil, who is still a really good friend of mine. I was basically like, hey, can you give me like $100,000? 
tell me, oh, Eric's about to have a baby. Like, no. Um, but he's like, I'll give you uh, five coaching sessions with this business coach. Like, okay. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Give me a coaching session. Um, well, I don't need coaching. I'm a genius. Um, that's what I was thinking probably. But then I had like one coaching session. We kind of went through my business and he's like, hey, man, you're doing everything yourself. Like you can't be doing everything yourself. You need to identify what you're best at doing and what you enjoy doing. And then you need to find other people and train them to do everything else you're doing to free up your time. And that's how you're going to start growing revenue and gain certainty in um, your income. And, uh, and I mean, I say, I still say this all the time, like commercial real estate brokerage is not super, um, it's not super easy to predict what your income is going to be like, and I don't care what level you get at it. There's just like not the same level of predictability because I can predict how much work we're going to have each year. But then once we get deals to the finish line, how many of those are going to get signed at the end of the day? Like a lot of times it's a coin flip. It's totally out of our control. We're going to do the exact same amount of work. Um, either way, but the key to in, increasing some level of predictability and comfort is to um, generate a lot of sales activity and execute extremely well. So those are the two things, and you've got you can't do that on your own, in my opinion. And that's what he um, brought to my attention. So I immediately hired my first um, teammate, and then I hired, and then I met. Cole Hooper, a couple months later, who um, he was just graduating from college, so I hired him. So within like six months, I'd hired two teammates. I had a team of three people, and um, 2014 wound up being my record year. And then same with 2015, same with 2016, and now we're a team of six people. Um, I've worked with coaches nonstop since then. I currently have three different coaches I work with, one business, one physical performance and one's more like spiritual type life coach. And I, I'm a huge believer in coaching in general, but I built processes. So I've synthesized basically how we do everything and made them made it all into like these PowerPoint playbooks on everything from the sales and marketing process to the execution process. And, um, and we have daily sales training, daily sales meetings, do all of these things. So we're super process driven and uh, continuing to scale and grow. And uh, last year was a record year as well. So hoping to keep on that path and uh, keep growing and keep just doing better work and improving. Um, and that's, the, that's the key. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, Go ahead, Jeff. Well, I just don't say it's it definitely uh, when you're at, earlier and younger it's always like i can do everything right so yeah uh i was the same way in all my businesses and i just quickly realized there's always somebody that can do something that just a little bit better than you and if they can do it great and extraordinary it's like why wouldn't they be on your team like especially if you can get along with them and it's kosher and they bring more to the table so yeah completely agree with you on there ward i couldn't agree more And, and jeff and i are in a uh in a mastermind group together. And that's one of the big things we've been pushing like group members for is the, the process being process driven, like document your processes, put them in, in a, in a written format, whether that's a PowerPoint or, you know, word doc, PDF, whatever. And then I even similar to what you've probably done too, is like creative, like recorded things and then have like a video format where people can reference that, that are on your team. Cause some people learn written and some people learn better when they see something, you know, visually, 
And so, you know, I, I hired my first virtual assistant earlier this year, and she's taken over a lot of the, the operation side pertaining to the marketing pieces yeah. of my business. So she does all the editing and, and modification for the podcast. She does a lot of the social stuff as well. And so it, it's taken a lot off my plate to now where you can go out and, and generate more business, which is really your highest and best use as a broker. And really that's where your, your, your impact can be made. And so, you know, I think that's some very valuable information you shared because a lot of people similar to myself, it took me, I mean, I've been in the business almost three, almost three years now. It took me that long to realize that I shouldn't be doing all the stuff that I've been doing. And, and when you first start out, of course, you don't have the resources. So you have to do everything yourself, but hey, at, a, at a certain, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to, sorry to interrupt, but I was just yeah. going to say like, you have to at the beginning, yeah. because I don't think you can be good at sales if you don't know how to execute. Mm -hmm. So I spent uh, eight years before I scaled. And, but when I did, I had done like hundreds of market surveys. I probably went too long. I mean, I wish I had thought of this like five years in, but I think I needed five years of doing the, the volume deals that I was doing to really figure it out, like financial analysis, proposals, RFPs. I mean, you realize like all of those things to me are art forms and they're things that are constantly evolving uh, because I don't uh, want to just do cookie cutter, same thing forever. I want to continually enhance our RFP. I want to continually enhance how our BOVs flow for our clients. Like our presentation decks, financial analysis. We started like looking at cash on cash returns that landlords are gonna see when we're analyzing tenant deals so that then we can like use that to negotiate better. And like, we, we I didn't used to do that. It used to just be like, here's the average rent or the net present value or something. But like, I wanna keep pushing, like how can we get better? Because that execution, that's the story we tell to go win the business. And, um, and it, it's meaningless to go win the business if you can't execute like you say you're going to execute. So like, I think like having that foundation of like really like getting a lot of deal experience makes you like uh, a sales master, especially um, Grant Cardone. I was, I, I worked with him for a year and he coached me one-on-one uh, -on -one and super valuable lesson, but he says um, that service trumps selling. And like, I'm a big believer in that. And that's kind of actually funny for him to say because he's so big on selling and taking massive action and 10X mentality, but in his sales training, which we still do his digital sales training as a team. And I do it every morning, Monday through Thursday, I do it, not today, but every Monday through Thursday, I do it. And yeah, he's been like really harping on that this week. It's just like service is so, important because that is the way to sell and um it, it's got it because you can go sell and close the deal but if you're not if your service is lacking like it, what does it even matter you might get one commission check and then they're going to be out of there yeah and you're 100 right and, and, and in, in the business of commercial real estate you get to work with your clients for years i mean i'm sure you've done several transactions with people that you've known for many years and so you know that service piece is huge because you don't want to just have that one commission check and then lose the business in the future when you can have an excellent service and then they stay with you for years because that's going to be way more valuable in the long run. Yeah, our 90 deals last year, we did 90% repeat business. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the, um, I mean, that's just something like that also, that's part of our business plan too. We want to, uh, we target clients that have, 
multiple facilities and multiple transactions per year because a that's what we do best is work with companies like that because we specialize in this and they're the only types of companies we work with are large companies with big footprints you know that require process driven real estate strategy constantly but the best thing about it is the relationships you build we don't just talk to them every five years on a lease renewal we talk every day um, we have scheduled calls every week. And um, that first client of mine from Dallas, they were acquired by a company in Canada. And um, I just met with them on Tuesday. We were talking like, that's it's the same company that now we've been working with since 2009. So um, it, it's just amazing to have a partnership that that goes that long. And a lot of a lot of like the decision makers have changed, but some are still there. And I mean that kind kind of relationship, you build like true friendships. But also, we know their culture, like the back of our hands. Like we know what kind of warehouses they like. We know how they negotiate leases. Like there's no, I mean, like the predictability of how we're going to operate is like enabled us to be super proactive in a real estate strategy um, when you have that kind of customer. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Some, some great insights. And so one of the things that, that, that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is your, your decision to go on the industrial real estate side. So one thing I wanted to kind of ask you about was, you know, what are the different types of industrial real estates and why did you choose the ultimate path you took? Because you know, when you, when people say industrial, they think, you know, obviously the, the Amazon warehouses, but there's other parts of industrial that aren't necessarily as talked about in, in at least now currently in, 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 in the broader news source. So why did you decide one to go industrial? And then obviously why did you decide that, that particular focus area? I'm telling you, like, it just felt like a good vibe about it. Mm-hmm. The industrial brokers just, um i don't know we're just a little more laid back like a little more down to earth and industrial real estate is occupied by companies that are doing the behind the scenes work so a lot of ceos of these big logistics companies and trucking companies like they they grew up you know they might have their first job might have been driving a truck for ups or driving a forklift like again, when you're in the warehousing business, I don't think you can truly be um, the best of the best unless you know how to execute yourself. Just like I was talking about with market surveys, that goes down to managing um, warehouse workers and inventory and understanding how warehouse works. And you can't just like come out of, I mean, people do it, of course, but um, like, I I think the best leaders in that world are the people that started ground up and uh, understand what it's like to be in the warehouse and everything that's required. So that brings with it, I think just a level of humility that appealed to me. And then I got into it. So I started um, the two zip codes that I focused on um, 75207 and 75247 were the two original warehousing districts in Dallas. So very old warehouse space, like built in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, if like it's super nice and new back then, you know, like (laughs) that that was all like low clear height, like 12 foot clear buildings, like and warehouses are measured by clear height because that's how it allows you to store, you know, 
cubic square footage for storage. So today they're building like 50 foot, 60 foot clear buildings in some cases. Uh, 40 is kind of the norm for a large distribution center in Dallas. But um, I but I started going door to door and they're like 10,000, 5,000 square foot warehouses. Some were closer to downtown and being renovated into art galleries, you know, from a machine shop or turning into a restaurant. And then a lot of them are like these mom and pop, like manufacturers or small time distributors that have just been there forever. And uh, so Colin, and, I mean, I would just go knock on doors, 50 doors a week in person is how I started my career and talking to the people. And I just like loved it. Like the, and compared to when I leased class A office space, and you're, it's just a, a, I, I like, it's just like a vibe that's totally 180 and one I love and the other, I never felt like I was comfortable. And it was just like, um, not my, my style, you know? So it was like, I, I can't explain it, but I just felt like this is, this is where I belong. I love this. Um, despite the fact there's no air conditioning in the warehouses. And back then I was forced to wear a suit to work, work every day. And I would like, have sweat stains on my suit, walking door to door in the Texas heat to these unair-conditioned warehouses. But um, it's all like fun part of the story now. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah no, and, and I got similar vibe from the office side. I mean, it just seems a lot more corporate, like uptight type of, you know, environment where you're, I mean, you're dealing with, you know, larger corporations and, you know, obviously depending on what, what product type you decided to focus on, but I kind of got a similar vibe and, you know, similar to you, I've, I've actually been focusing more on the, the retail side uh, recently. And I didn't know anything about commercial real estate before getting into it. I came from an engineering background. I was a software uh, developer and consultant and then got into the brokerage side uh, about two and a half, three years ago. So I had no idea where I wanted to focus on. And I've just kind of naturally gravitated more towards retail. Uh, similar reasons for to you is that you're dealing with these you know, people who have been in the business for many years, I mean, their stories are all over the map and it's really inspiring to hear some of their, their backgrounds because it's like, wow, this is truly the American dream that they're living out. And so oh, yeah. that was kind of, kind of what uh, attracted me to that. And plus I have, you know, experience on the retail side, uh, as far as restaurants are concerned, I used that I only, the only other job I had outside of, you know, the development and, and now brokerage has been in restaurants, busing, serving. I managed a restaurant for a little while as well. So I can kind of relate to, the the struggles of of just being a an employee and also a manager within those environments so i i said i was a professional musician but i was actually i worked for free as a musician for the most part but i was a, a weighted tables to really pay the rent and i actually always say that waiting tables is the best sales training of all time um and you know there's nothing where and you know, but you're having to juggle a whole bunch of different things, high intensity environment. You're dealing with a bunch of different people with different needs, and like you, you just gotta keep a smile on your face and provide service and pay attention and stay on top of, stay on top of it. And you're you're compensated for the level of service you provide. Absolutely, Absolutely. and you get to, you like you said, you get to see so many different people, and and sales is all a people business, right? So you have to be yeah. able to read people, and some people. Like in the in a restaurant business, just an example. Like 
some some people don't ever want you to come by. They want you to come by and and just put some water in their in their their cup and that's it. And then take the service and they don't have to be there to kind of talk to them or engage with them. That's just not what they want. They want you to kind of just let them do what they want to do. And then, you know, you show up periodically to fill their cups and take their order, et cetera. And then there's other people who are a lot more social and they want, you know, your engagement, they want to learn about you, et cetera. So uh, just being able to read that. And when things don't go right, you know, inevitably in restaurant, things are not going to go right. Sometimes maybe the orders put in wrong, or maybe the, 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 if it's a meat dish, maybe they, they didn't cook it enough or, you know, that sort of thing. You learn how to manage that and, you know, navigate those situations and save what could be a bad situation and make it into hopefully a positive one. So, I mean, there's, yeah, I can't tell you how many, how much I've learned from, from just being a in the service business. That that reminds me of uh, one of my favorite stories from when I waited tables. And I I mean, like I delivered the food and I was doing exactly what you're doing. I'm kind of like six sensing like how all the customers are doing. I see out of the corner of my eye after I dropped the food off, like all three of the people at this table were like staring at their food and like what appeared to be disgust. And I like rushed over to the table. I was like, is everything okay? And they were praying. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> like, yeah. okay. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, everything's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, it, I thought, I thought they were disgruntled with their food, but they were just, giving thanks so oh yeah and i'm sure they didn't they, they were like oh yeah everything's fine yeah. you know and they're yeah, they appreciated yeah, yeah. your concern they appreciated your concern but that's awesome pretty funny so i know ward that you've been talking about like your business clients and the, the business owners out there um and i know a lot of our listeners are business owners themselves so one of the questions that we want to ask is uh, what are some of the things that like business owners need to consider when they're analyzing um leasing opportunities among the industrial industry? Well, I mean, I think you need to start with a comprehensive needs analysis of what your business needs. Um, Industrial space is, um, I mean, it's all about optimizing efficiency for your supply chain, um, whether you're distributing or manufacturing products, which are really the two things that you're going to be doing with industrial real estate. So yeah. um, we have a super comprehensive needs analysis that you know we've developed and continue to tweak just to ask every possible question. But it starts from what product are you storing? Where is it coming from? Where is it going? So that's your transportation analysis. Then how, how much of it are you going to have to be storing? And how high can you store it? And is there anything special required? If you're storing food, you have to have a food grade warehouse. If you're storing paper, you might have to have air conditioning in your warehouse. Or if you have a heavy labor supply, then how many workers do you need? And then what kind of skill sets do they need? And where are they coming from? Now labor is the number one driving factor for everybody, even though transportation cost is biased. Labor is critical because you can be in the right location um, as far as transportation costs go, but if you don't have labor there, then you can't operate your warehouse if it's a labor intensive warehouse. So that, then you got to take that into consideration. Then you take into consideration the building itself, like the clear height and the column spacing. And if you have robotics, you're going to have to have, make sure the floor is okay. And then depending on what your flow of distribution and trucks coming in, then you need to figure out how many dock doors you need. Is it, 
Vostok, um, and uh, what level, you know, obviously like every industrial deal has an office deal in it. I, I always like to remind office brokers. So, um, <laughs> because yeah, we're still, you still got to figure out your office space. You got to figure out like, do you need curb appeal, like highway, freeway exposure for your signage and things like that. And then what's becoming more and more important is uh, parking. So truck parking, like excess storage for trailers. So I think like building, like finding buildings with excess land is almost always appreciated by tenants. Uh, but understanding that, like, do you need the truck parking? Do you need it? How many employee parking places do you need? But I mean, so anyway, we like get into all that, the lighting, green initiatives, um, I think are becoming more and more important, especially for the larger companies. And pretty, you know, I think eventually it's just going to be, um, enforced by the governments everywhere. Like right now, California is doing, doing a lot of green initiative type stuff, but um, taking into account all these things. And once you do, uh, and you do a very holistic an analysis, you're gonna typically find in this market, um, zero to one options that actually work. And then what, is, what I recommend is be realistic and focus on securing the property and getting the best deal possible, but also it's critical right now to move fast and be aggressive. And the market in some places has been going up 60% in one year, like in LA. And there's no more land in LA. And people, the e-commerce was flat last year over 2021, but it's gonna probably continue to tick up a little bit each year. When e-commerce ticks up, so does the need for industrial space, but there's no more land in places like LA and you can't build fast in Toronto and Vancouver. And um, I mean, the record low vacancy, Santiago, Chile, they have like a few big buildings being built, like three in all of Santiago, Chile. Um, and I mean, we gotta be realistic and you gotta be aggressive. And if you need something for your business, like I, I don't recommend waiting around for a better deal to come. I think the best deal is going to happen right now. Um, all the materials to build these buildings are getting more and more expensive. There's long lead times on the construction. So like Dallas, we have 70 million square feet under construction right now, technically, but how much of that's gonna deliver? Not 70 million square feet this year. There's no way because nobody can get concrete and steel right now. So um, I think like right now, it's just important to um, have your business plan in place and go be ready to execute swiftly. And, um, and analysis paralysis and sitting around and waiting is just going to uh, cost, you, cost you money. And I, I don't see that shifting. Um, Prologis, the largest owner of industrial real estate in the world, or they're trying to buy Duke Willowy, right? And buy more warehouse space. Right now, when warehouse space is the highest value it's ever been in the history of the world, why would ProLogics do that? Because they're going long. I mean, that's like a $25 billion deal they were trying to do to buy more industrial real estate. Like they, if anybody knows what to do right now, I feel like it's them because they have all the tenants. They're interfacing with them constantly. They're, they have amazing data scientists that are there and analyzing all of this stuff. And um, like when they're making a move like that, that tells me industrial real estate is 
the demand's not going anywhere, but I can tell you that the availability is because there's no more land, especially close to cities, the big distribution hubs and the big cities. And um, as that land gets snapped up, then there's just going to be, um, you know, vacancies are going to push down. And I think despite what happens with the economy as a whole, um, even the geopolitical situations and all of the global trade, um, if you've read about it in the paper, like ports are backed up and there's delays everywhere. China's currently shut down their port for COVID again. So I think we're going to feel the whiplash of that, of not having inventory over here, like in September, probably October, September. And it's going to really further disrupt an already very disruptive supply chain. Uh, this is causing not only like the need for e-commerce increase, but it's also going to cause reshoring and manufacturing to have more control over products. And it's going to cause uh, companies to up their inventory levels so that they are protected should China decide to shut down their ports or some war breaks out and we can't get products over here. They want to have, they're going to need as much products over here as possible. So my advice to business owners is act swiftly. Uh, if, if you're in this for the long haul, try to own your real estate. Um, because I think you're going to see rents continue to push up. Maybe not at the level they did last year in the last like 18 months, because we had the COVID spike of e-commerce that just really did some crazy things and combined with supply chain and inflation and everything. So it was kind of a perfect storm. But I don't see the cost going down. I see them steadily creeping up and continuing to creep up. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, and I, and I value the, a few things that I wanted to kind of extract from that. Obviously the market uh, is a big, is a big uh, piece. And you mentioned some of the analytics that people look at when they're looking at some of the space needs for that, that particular, for their particular use. Uh, another thing pertaining to, you know, what you, what you just mentioned as well was the uh, you know, the, 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 the reshoring of products to, to the mainland, especially now with, I, I remember back. So in, in Puerto Rico, there used to be a huge pharmaceutical uh, presence there post the 1980s there was some tax incentives that incorporated uh, incorporated uh at, in that in the island and so there was a huge boom of pharmaceuticals there and then when those ran out a lot of them reshored to other parts of the world many being in in asia and you know you're starting to see some issues as far as national security is concerned because now it's like how are we going to be able to get the products that we need to be able to you know service our you know populace if, if something like this were to occur again and not only that but you other companies are starting to rethink about okay well if i can't get my product from you know let's say semiconductor materials from this particular country how's that going to affect our supply chain for the rest of our products i mean that's why chip manufacturers uh you know are, are starting to be built up i know tesla's having a uh, big uh, facility they're building here domestically as well and so all that's going to definitely Im impact the industrial market as a whole long term and you know, like you said, I think I think rents in general across the country are going to continue to increase. And we talked to a gentleman in, in Miami, uh, Florida, a while back, and their their his focus area is cold storage, and that's oh, also gosh. been blowing up like crazy, up. like all over the nation. And he's mentioning, especially with like the 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 increase in you know grocery store uh, you know. Uh, uh, revenue. I mean, people, people just been going to the grocery store a lot more and they require a lot more fresh produce. And he's been talking about some of the, the numbers that, he, that they're seeing as far as lease rates are concerned. And I'm just blown away by, oh, yeah. you know, some of the, some of the, some of the charges that they're able to achieve. 
And I'll tell you this too, like I keep harping on e-commerce, but retail sales in general, if for your sector, are healthy right now. People are buying, a lot of people are going back to the stores and e-commerce actually dipped in Q4 2021 for the first time ever, um, I think. It's like since e-commerce was invented, I might mm-hmm. be wrong on that, but it did dip, even though it was flat for all of 2021, it dipped in Q4. But when people are still buying retail, whether at the store or online, that also generates demand for industrial real estate. And you can tell, um, I, I was on a podcast yesterday. I talked about this, but I'm going to do it again. Um, but like I, I went to Nordstrom uh, and went shopping there a couple times. And I really, I keep going back because they always have the inventory. And then um, I have a client that I didn't know this, but they do like last mile type courier work for Nordstrom. So they're actually moving inventory from store to store, like from the warehouse to the store, like at nighttime. So the next day when I go in and I'm 6'4", 225 pounds. So like not all clothes fit me. And they have like the clothes that fit me there every time I walk in. And it's always, I'm always just like mind blown because they have good omni-channel plan in place. So Nordstrom's here to stay. They've invested so much of their money and how to make the customer experience as seamless as possible. So I can go to the store, they have inventory, I can buy it online, they have inventory, I can get it delivered to me quickly, I can easily return it to the store or via online, like all that kind of stuff. Like the retailers that are have been paying attention to e-commerce, but also understand the importance of still getting people to the store, making that an amazing experience, which for that to happen, you need, to have it like look appealing, be well located, and um, have good service, and then have what people want to buy when they walk in there. Because if I went to Nordstrom, they didn't have the pants I want. I'm not going to go back to Nordstrom again because what would be the point? I'll just buy online. But if I go to the store and they have it, what are the chances I buy three pairs of pants instead of one pair of pants? Like that's going to go up. So they're making way more money off people to buy in the store. So they're trying to make that happen. So retail, I think, is just like so um, connected with industrial. I normally go to ICSC, but I couldn't go last week. Um, but one of my teammates went, but I love to go there because it's so interconnected. I mean, retail dictates what's going on in industrial. Absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. no doubt. And, and not only that, but you know, now you, you mentioned the, the supply chain issues and, you know, I, I studied industrial engineering in college and, you know, the, the idea that, they always press down your throat is, you know, saying, oh, you know, lean manufacturing, you want to make sure you, you manage your inventory more effectively. You don't want to have a ton of inventory on hand because that could be very expensive. You have a lot of money tied up in this inventory, whereas now it's like, if you can get it, get it. Like there's there's no, it's the streamlining of, of inventory as, as you typically would see in a, in a perfect world, quote unquote. So it's kind of interesting to hear you say that, that, you know, there's the companies out there are now just stockpiling as opposed to what they were doing before, which was just trying to, you know, streamline the process, have as little inventory as they can on hand uh, to make sure that they weren't tying up all their, like a significant amount of resources and inventory. So. Yep. So you kind of went over um, what you kind of see the industrial market going, uh, but I don't know if that was just like a five-year window or you, you think over the next decade or where, where do you see it really going? Let's just go over like in the next decade. Do you think it'll catch up with itself and people will just keep building or? 
I'm just like fascinated to see what happens with the supply chain, but I, I think with, um, with that technology improving the way it does and then <clears throat> the popularity of the supply chain field now, and I think the increased amount of money being poured, in, poured into it, um, you're, you're just, you've got so many brilliant minds behind the scenes trying to figure this out. And right now it's hanging on by a thread, really. Um, another thing I always like to talk about on podcasts is like there there's a you know a shortage of all these laborers for the supply chain but especially truck drivers and a shortage of truck drivers causes extreme increase in transportation costs there's no truck parking there's no like easy life for the trucker it's a really hard life so things like that need i mean there's going to be autonomous vehicles i would think in the future there's going to be electric vehicles there's going to be all this but at the end of the day like all these laborers that especially truck drivers, but even the warehouse workers in general, like you gotta like pay attention to, to them because like it, you can't just automate everything. You're gonna need these people working these tough jobs. And I think um, solutions for labor solution and then automations obviously and robotics is already coming into play and it's going to continue to do so. But um, I, I don't know, you're, you're gonna see, like they're building multi-story warehouses now, drones are coming. Um, I, I just don't know like what technology and like some brilliant mind that gets in the supply chain business that might be 20 years old right now, like when they're, you know, 15 years from now, like what they come up with and just curious to see how it reshapes. Um, but it seems like industrial rents will probably outperform office rents it would be my guess in like 20 years from now, but um, who knows? Because um, just the value of having product close to people is gonna be so important. Um, I think as the world continues to change with e-commerce. Definitely, no, for sure. And, and, and I'll even mention like the repurposing of even retail uh, shopping centers. I mean, it's already happening even here locally where you have some older shopping centers that, you know, have become almost completely vacant. Um, They serve their useful life and now they're being repurposed into, you know, last mile facilities. Uh, Tell me if you find one of those. Yeah. Because I think, I think that I've heard that Mm -hmm. and I think it happens sometimes, but I don't think like cities don't want any more industrial Mm -hmm. and I think getting them rezoned is going to be tougher and tougher. So that's something to think about. But yeah, if you find any that can be industrial zoned, anyone listening out there, retail brokers, let me know because I do I do think that's great. But I, I just think that um, it's getting tougher and tougher. It's hard to go build industrial on industrial zoned land right now if it's close to like a, a community that um, that has a lot of residents there. They're getting sick of it and uh, the truck traffic and everything. So. I, I just think it's going to be more and more difficult to get to build this stuff, which is why, you know, the supply is just going to go down. And um, that's why, I, I mean, I think like the cost will just keep pushing up. Another thing that I could see happening is just like fully automated distribution centers in the middle of nowhere that don't depend on labor. And then your real estate costs are going to go way down and you're going to just go out and buy land in the middle of nowhere as long as it's near an interstate and go put up a building and there's no lights on inside there's just robots in there 
like in like in uh, I heard in uh, Louisville, you know, the UPS has their big hub there that I, I've heard like they're just like you know dark areas uh, in the space with no lights and just pure robotics just like moving stuff and um, so I mean I think we might see some of that uh, to combat um, the scarcity of industrial land near the major markets but there's still going to be this need to have product close to the major markets and close to the population so um, there might be some shifting of these things but I, I just can't see it like if you've got warehouse space near a city, a major city, like I don't see, I, I mean, I think that's going to continue to appreciate. Absolutely. At a very great. rapid pace. Great, great insights for sure. So Ward, we greatly appreciate your time. I know you're super busy and, uh, you know, obviously the insights you shared on this podcast have been super helpful. Uh, what we typically do near the end of the podcast is we like to ask people about uh, you know, a few things, one being the, the books that they like, you know, we're all voracious readers. I know I am Jeff is, uh, and, and our audience loves it as well. So one of the questions we like to ask is what is the most impactful book you've ever read? It doesn't have to be real estate related. We've had people share a variety of different books, but you know, we always like to ask that question near the end. I have so many favorite books. Um, and I read like 25 books a year, um, nonfiction self-help books pretty much. Um, so I'm not going to like say, I don't know if this is my favorite, but it, it's, uh, on my mind this week because I attended his conference last week, which is why I missed ICSC. And that's, uh, the book is becoming supernatural by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Mm. Um, and I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Joe, yeah, but I have. He, he, uh, I went to this like three day retreat in Denver last weekend. It was just like amazing. So I'd highly recommend checking that book out. And um, it's it's just uh, amazing. It's about power of meditation, quantum physics, and um, it's pretty mind-blowing stuff. So big fan of that. So, but I will, I have to also give credit to Tim Ferriss who sent me on all of this reading journey like seven, six years ago when I started really getting into all this stuff. And he always asks that question too, what is your favorite book? But Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss is just an amazing book that like, really that's why I, I discovered like so many of the things that I've discovered over the last few years, including like, I would never have gotten connected with Dr. Joe Dispenza had I not read that uh, Tools of Titans, even though he's not in there, but it all connected me, but that's another good one. That's awesome. Yeah. Have you read that? I, I have not, but uh, one of my coach, I had a, a coach for a while, Trevor McGregor. He's a, he's a, uh, a real estate coach and he was big into Joseph Spenda's work. And so he kind of pushed us and I was, I read, um, I, I audibled, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't read personally, but I read, I listened to one of his books. Um, gosh, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It's in, it's in my phone right now, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just an impressive, impressive individual. And you know, the meditation is a big, it's been a big part of my morning for many years and, it really does make a difference in the way that I can perform throughout the day. It's just clearing your mind and, and getting ready for the, the tasks at hand. And it's really hard when you first start out. I mean, I, I, I do it for five to 10 minutes typically in the morning. And, you know, the, when I first started, it was, I, I couldn't get my mind to be quiet. It was, you're just thinking about so many different things throughout the day that you need to get done. And even today, I'm not perfect at it, but uh, it's definitely made a huge impact in the way I operate. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Or I wanted to say we appreciate everything, all the knowledge you shared, your journey, especially that is very intriguing. I like that uh, you toured and everything. Uh, but one of the questions that we like to do, uh, we have a CRE treasure chest. 
um, which is a repository of things that uh, people have submitted. It could be case studies or blogs or uh, just any type of information that you would find that the listeners would find beneficial to them. So uh, our ask today is what is uh, something that you'd be willing to co contribute to that treasure chest? Yeah, um, thanks, Jeff. Like, great talking to you guys today. This uh, I didn't even know what to expect. Normally when I do podcasts, I'm like constantly rattling off industrial real estate stats and that's it. And that can get a little um, repetitive. So I've really enjoyed getting to share and um, talk about all kinds of things kind of outside of real estate today. It was unexpected and thanks for, for all of that. So yeah, I have a blog that I'll share um, and it, I believe it's called the top five ways to make cold calling not suck. And great. it's, uh, it, it's my, uh, it's a blog I wrote just on, uh, the art of cold calling, which, you know, I say cold calling, but just connecting with people in general and, uh, hopefully, um, some, someone might find it useful out there and course like feel free to reach out anytime with any questions about it absolutely i'm sure we i'm sure our audience is going to gain a lot of value from that because we do also have a, a contingent of our audience that are brokers and and operators within you know their, their respective markets and cold carding is a part of the business it's 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 one of the best ways to generate business for yourself and um it's definitely one of those things where you see a lot of people say, Hey, it's, it's, it's a dying art, but in reality, I mean, it's, it's a great way to get in front of people and, you know, achieve scale while doing so. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I mean, I think at, at the core of any successful business is going to be, uh, have to be sales. Um, so, and, and I I call it cold calling, but, but I mean, really it's like, it's just, it's just connecting with people. It's, it's connecting with people to let them know about the value that you create that they can benefit from. So, um, and that's, I, I think like, just like the foundation of any successful business is understanding that principle. Definitely. No, some great advice. So Ward, again, we, we thank you so much for your time. I know you, you're definitely very busy in, in your market. So we definitely do appreciate it. If people want to learn more about you, you know, maybe they're in the, the, the Dallas market and they want to, you know, lease, lease property, or maybe they're a landlord that's needs, needs help with leasing their space. What's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Um, I have a website, uh, that's called supply chain, real estate.com. Um, so that's easy and it has all my contact information. Um, or, or I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So you can just go look up Ward Richmond on LinkedIn and uh, connect with me there and shoot me a message and we'll get something set up to discuss. That's awesome. Yeah. How'd you get that URL? That's a great one. I, uh, I got it like in 2017 and, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. That's awesome. That's no, so yeah, no, the, the URLs make a huge difference. I mean, just being able to, 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 to research that and that's a pretty, uh, crisp and clean URL. So that's awesome, man. But, but we'll go ahead. We'll go ahead and include that in the show notes. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, it'll be in the description. And if you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, like Spotify, Apple podcast, whatever, it'll be in the description as well. So Again, thank you all so much for, for tuning in and stopping by and listening to the podcast episode. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate it if you can like and subscribe to this channel. It really helps with the YouTube algorithm. It ensures more and more people can hear this message. If you guys are listening to this in an Apple podcast format, a Spotify, whatever, we would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review. We've seen a significant uptick in our downloads as a result of you guys leaving five-star reviews. So again, just keep them coming uh, and provide feedback. If you want to hear something different as well, feel free to reach out to us as well. So 
Again, thank you all so much for stopping by and we'll see you all next time. 